It's been this way from the beginning, and when that's part of what is your company, you don't even really think about it. We don't say, well, gosh, wouldn't it be great if we didn't have to give this 2.5%. This is what we do. This is our mission. Cheryl O'Loughlin is the OG of mission-driven brands. A decade ago, before mission-driven brands were a thing, she turned Cliff Bar into one. But her latest venture takes it to another level. Rebel is a functional beverage brand on a mission to end human trafficking. It might be the best benefit corp in all of CPG. Thanks for joining Brand New Blueprint, a podcast by Smoketown. I'm your host, Ryan Pintado-Vertner. We're going to learn from visionaries who are building consumer brands in radically new ways. Brands with purpose, brands with new business models, And instead of waiting until their household names were zillions of dollars, we're going to hear from them right now. And who is Smoketown? Smoketown is a brand strategy and design consultancy that helps visionaries build bold, world-changing brands that are grounded in real consumer needs. In other words, we're nerds about this stuff. Here we go. Cheryl. I have been admiring the impact you've had in your career for a really long time, so this is a privilege. Thank you so much for joining me. Oh, it's beyond my pleasure, Ryan. Thanks for asking me. You and I have at least one thing in common, which we've talked about, and that's the Clorox company. Not just because your husband and I both worked there, but also, and I'm sure you know this, because Clorox lost more than one talented brand builder to Cliff because you built such an incredible culture over there. So I've been tipping my cap to you ever since. (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) So let's get into it. There's another thing that you and I have in common, uh, which is that you've talked about having a commitment to social justice from an early age. I'd love to understand what social justice means to you and and why it became such a passion for you. Well, I was actually raised by a single mom. And, you know, I saw after my father passed away just how she struggled, really, in order to be able to make sure she was creating a life for us that um, would, you know, would be a home, a nurturing home where we can really grow and learn and not be held back by the situation we were in. And it struck me this time we went um, shopping. It was to go for camp. And we had to go to this special store. And I didn't understand it at the time. And really, it was not till about 10 years ago where I realized oh, that was a special store because it was for people that needed help with money. And, you Mm. know, I just saw how as a single woman, it was was hard. As a single mom, it was really hard. And it just, I, I, I didn't know as a kid even how I could help. There was one time my mom was dating again. And she'd been dating this man for a little while. And I remember him coming to the door of our house and she wanted him to leave and he wouldn't leave. And so me and my two brothers, we started chanting and we said, get out, get out, get out. And that was a moment, the first time of really um, experiencing harassment. So social justice to me is about 
um, is about the integrity of, of everybody and having the ability for people, all people, to be able to be treated equally with dignity and respect. And it it's just breaks my heart that still in this society we have so far to go with so many marginalized people. That is such a powerful story. I wonder if you and your brothers learned something else in that situation, which is about people power, right? Oh, right. Very, very good point. That's as if I hadn't thought about it that way, but you're right. And, and the power that we felt as really little kids to see that man leave. It never struck me until you just said something. Yeah, that you could do something and create movement. So Cheryl, at what point did you realize that companies can also have that kind of impact on the world? Was that obvious to you early in your career? God, no. No, <laughs> my, my mom, when I was at school, said to me when I was at college, well, I can't pay for school anymore. And I thought, okay, well, you know, the practical side of me, how do I make sure that I'm doing okay and I don't have these big loans hanging over my head. And so I decided to go to business school. And it was really a case of just trying to figure out, you know, how to not get into the situation where I would be dependent on someone else for my finances. I felt like, though, I had done a deal with the devil. Mm -hmm. And business was evil. In fact, um, my best friend, Bev, who was my next door neighbor through growing up, we had talked about issues of social justice together when we were younger. And she went to Michigan State and I went to the University of Michigan and we were talking on the phone one day. And she said, you know, proudly to me, oh, you know, I chose my major and I'm going to go into political science. And she said, what, what did you choose? And I said, well, I decided to go into business. And she literally said, shame on you, and hung oh, up wow. on me. Oh, we didn't wow. talk for 15 years. In my moment, though, of clarity, where I didn't feel this cognitive dissonance anymore, was when I start, I went to work at Cliff Bar, and we were... We were a company that was about, you know, athletes and um, connecting with people through our bars. There was not a lot of talk around anything around the environment or supporting pe people, you know, in humanity in terms of community work or anything else at that time. And in fact, the only companies talking about that were really Ben and Jerry's and Need Erotic at the Body Shop. What happens next at Cliff Bar is the stuff of legend. There's an extended version of this clip on our website. Here's the quick one. Gary Erickson, co-founder of the company, decided not to sell. He was literally about to sign the documents to become a multimillionaire. The bankers and the acquisition company were in the room, and he changed his mind. Here's what happened next. So then Gary began to articulate this vision, which was to use the power of the company to have a positive impact on people and the planet. And I was stunned by this idea. I, right. I, I was like, oh my God, if, if, if this is true, if business can be that powerful and make that intention and conscious uh, level of change in the world, 
this brought me full circle to my whole life. And I, I just, I was beyond excited about the, the possibility. And when I became CEO, I got the opportunity to truly op- operationalize this vision and it worked. And I was like, I was sold. This, this was the way to go forward in business. I was watching that story unfold real time, and and the way I remember it, it was like Cliff Bar wound up blazing a trail that a lot of other purpose-driven founders followed, right? Absolutely. It it really did, and it was just, I feel so joyful and honored that I got to be part of that whole thing. That's incredible. And so now you've carried that forward. That same passion was part of Plum Organics, one of the companies that you helped build after Cliff Bar. But it seems to me that Rebel has taken social impact to a whole new level. You have this phrase that I love. You say that Rebel started out as a cause looking for a company. Can you share the story of Rebel's founding in case people are not familiar with it? It's pretty amazing how this company was born. So in 2011, there was there's a nonprofit who to this day is our partner in everything we do called Not For Sale. And the focus of Not For Sale is to create a future without human trafficking. And Dave Butt Stone, who started Not For Sale, and Mark Wexler, who started it with him, had found themselves wanting to solve this this challenge and realized that none of the solutions in the past that had worked. So he pulled together the smartest thinkers that he knew, and they were such a diverse group of people, everything from investors, but also there was an agronomist and even a professional baseball player, Jeremy Affelt, who worked, uh, played for the Giants. Oh, wow. And he pulled all these folks together in a room and he said, we've got to find a way to solve this problem. And I'm going to break you up into groups. I have no idea what you're going to come with up with as a solution. It could be a nonprofit or for-profit. But my commitment to you, and this was so bold, my commitment to you is that the best idea, we will fund it. And what ended up happening is the group actually with the agronomist and Jeremy Affelt came up with this idea of, at the time, a smart tea. And the concept was they would buy ingredients, local ingredients from the indigenous community at this time. It was in Peru. And this community was, uh, was really slave labor for the middlemen that would come in, buy their their uh, herbs for nothing and sell them in Lima at exorbitant prices. So really from the beginning, our grounding was in this nonprofit. I was just stunned when I saw the beginnings of this company. I had never, ever seen this happen before where it grew out of a nonprofit. And to this day, we give two and a half percent of our net sales to not for sale to do their work of rehabilitating um, people who have been trafficked. We're now um, buying ingredients out of 39 countries. So through our work together, we're helping to support uh, growers so that they, they have the livelihood that they need so they're never trafficked to begin with. So we address the issue down the stream as well as up the stream. That is one of the most powerful origin stories I've ever heard. Purpose was literally built into the business model. But what totally blows me away is that not only was the founding story exceptional, 
the company is actually doing exceptionally well. It's just warms my heart to be able to see what's happening where people are truly voting with their dollars. What we think about every day is that through invention, we nourish at the nexus of humanity, the economy, and the earth, and we thrive when they're in harmony. And it's not just us as a company, but it's every single person um, that we touch and touch us with our efforts. And Oh my God, to be part of something where people are embracing that is just, it's a thrill beyond, beyond belief. And yet I have to believe that this hasn't been easy. Are there challenges that you've experienced along the way? I've done this rebel adventure very, very differently because of all the hard learnings I've had in the past. And I wrote about this in my book, Killing It, An Entrepreneur's Guide to Keeping Your Head Without Losing Your Heart. When I co-founded Plum with uh, Neil Grimmer, it was at the time that the same time that my husband started decided to start a company. It was called Blue Sky Family Club, and it was a really cool concept of creative activities for kids, physical activities. It was healthy food. It was the antithesis of Chuck E. Cheese. So we started our companies at the same time. Here's one learning. Don't try to do that. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's not good to, to have two people who are riding on the edge like that, especially because we had a family. Yeah. And so we started these up at the same time. And the blue sky thing, even though every parent thought it was a dream idea, it blew apart so fast that your head would spin due to literally just eating through all of our money. We we decided to self-fund Blue Sky while we did venture funding for, for Plum. And we just literally, really due to city delays and upgrades we had to do, we lost everything and we almost went bankrupt. And here I'm starting this company that's not just trying to get off the ground with revenue, but had purpose behind it, multiple bottom lines. And honestly, I... I, I was strong in getting through and helping my husband get out the other side on his end. And then I fell apart completely and I ended up developing anorexia and it really, it was one of the hardest times of my life. And I ended up leaving the company that I love because I felt like it, it, I, I couldn't do it anymore oh, and it wow. wasn't right for me or for the company. And went and worked for Stanford, ran the Center for Entrepreneurial Studies for a while. And I had no intention of running a, a company day to day ever again. Plum sold, we moved to wine country. I was going to teach entrepreneurship and serve on boards. And then Rebel came into my life with Paulo Hawken, who I'd met a while ago. And he asked me to be on his board. And I said, okay. And the more I got to know the company, the more I was stunned because it had the magic that I'd seen in these other companies that worked. It had an outstanding brand and product where Paulo understood the importance of the art of food, that it can't just be healthy. It can't just be organic. It has to taste exquisite. He got that. We had a brand that was Rebel, standing for roots, extracts, berries, barks, and leaves, what's in the product. But as a marketer by, at heart, I was like, oh, my God, this brand is so much to build on. Oh, yeah. So the brand and the product. 
And then there were the people that the people were so passionate, so creative, so smart, so willing to learn and grow and walk into the unknown. And then finally, the purpose that we just talked about, those three things, product, purpose, and people. I I had to jump in then and the the board asked me, you know, can you take on a role as CEO? And I said, listen, I'll help through some fundraising, but that's it. And I ended up just falling so in love. My husband, you know, I'm making this a long story and I'll be done in a second, but my husband said to me, no way, I do not want you to go and do this full time. And I finally, I thought about it and thought about it and said, Patrick, I think I'm ready again. I've got to do this. I'm in love, but I'm going to do this really differently. And I have gone through this adventure knowing the ups and downs. I can't ride the the ups too high. I can't ride the downs too low. If you're not riding the wave steady, you will burn, burn out. My message ultimately for entrepreneurs is you've got to take it step by step. It's an adventure. Embrace the adventure and don't isolate yourself. Be part of your relationships, your friendships, your family. You have to take the time. Don't work 24-7. It doesn't work. You will burn out. So once you and Patrick decided that you were going to make another run at this, was it immediately clear that the lessons that you had learned before could be applied to this new situation, or did you have to learn some things all over again? Yeah, you know, I definitely have my moments um, when something happens that's big. Uh, for example, there, you know, something happens at the manufacturing facility and we can't deliver product to retail that we desperately need to support a promotion. It's still tough, but what I can, but what I can do now is go into my head and breathe into it and be present with the team and say, we will get through this. It will happen. And, and, one of the things to that point, Ryan, that I did this time, and I am lucky enough to have the best investors who fully supported it, I hired the most experienced executive team I have ever hired. And they have been, and, and there are people that have um, been through companies, scaled companies with purpose, which is such a, uh, it is so, so wonderful to have that opportunity because in every other company, not enough people, there weren't enough companies with purpose to even hire people who scaled. You either found someone who worked at a company at purpose, but it was a very small company, or you found someone who knew how to scale companies that had experience but didn't understand purpose. We now have the benefit of both. So, it's also, I have a team where, who fully understand the ups and downs as well that happens. We can all hold hands and get through it together in a very calm but urgent way. So we all have our moments and we talk openly about those moments when we're having a hard time because we know the importance of connecting with other people and that we're all going through it. And that's why I emphasize entrepreneurs not isolating themselves because it is, it's when that we do that, that we get into their, uh, into our heads and things become bigger than life. And we almost in some ways think too far ahead catastrophically. 
Now that you've built a brand with purpose in these two very different environments, one a fairly mature company in Cliff Bar and now with the startup, have you noticed any unique sets of challenges or opportunities when you compare those experiences? Yeah, I mean, when you're in a company like Cliff, and we were a mature company by any stretch of the imagination when I was there, we got up to um, a $200 million company, which is huge to me now. Um, it, you have resources, and it's a huge difference, and it's why people with experience who who experience bigger companies, it's very hard to go into a small smaller company, especially a startup, because you don't have the resources and everything. It's like. Um, riding a smoother car versus one that's like banging on every single bump in the road. Right. You feel it in a, a small company and everything really, and that's where it gets so scary. There are moments that could make or break the company. And, and when you think about that too hard, that's when it becomes completely overwhelming. Um, the bigger you get, the more you can absorb, the more you have shock absorbers absorbers in the system so that is a huge difference that it it's very hard sometimes for people to go into that kind of environment and a lot of people go into it and they hate it and there's there are a lot of people who thrive in the startup environment and would wither on the vine in a bigger company where there's so much structure so there it, it's just it's a completely different way of being for me it is a total thrill because I feel like I have a canvas and I can paint on that canvas and create. And we have, especially because we have such good supportive board members and investors, we can try things. We have the flexibility to try things and in other places, it, it's much more, it's much more difficult. In addition to having a team that's both skilled in scale and social impact, it seems like you also have investors who are similarly wired. Would that be true or is that an oversimplification? We do because of the fact that we started out of a nonprofit. So nobody is going to want to be part of a company that has this kind of commitment. And Dave Bedstone, the, the, the gentleman that I said is the founder of Not For Sale, he sits on our board. So if you're not up for this kind of ride as an investor, this is not the right company. Mm -hmm. So so that's the difference. And the beauty, too, is our investors that we have now in uh, Bigger and, and Power Plant and Kavu, they, they do get it. And to the, we're lucky enough to have venture capital firms that really do get it and, and support it. And also give me the flexibility to truly run the company as opposed to standing right on top of me, which makes it hard for, for us to have the flexibility to do what we need to do. And I've experienced very differently in my past investment investors with a very different approach. And um, this is, this is just wonderful and enlightening and the way I think business needs to be going forward in this complex world. It has to be. Here's one of the things that I'm struck by. You have this ongoing commitment to give away 2.5% of net sales. And yet, for startups, cash is king. I mean, when you look at what causes startups to fail, cash is the number one culprit. And yet, you've built a P&L 
that gives away 2.5% no matter what. Has that ever raised challenges at times, or is it totally built into the company's DNA? Yeah, I think that you said it really well in terms of what you just said. It is part of our DNA. We don't, it's been this way from the beginning. And when that's part of what is your company, you don't even really think about it. We don't say, well, gosh, wouldn't it be great if we didn't have to give this two and a half percent? This is what we do. This is our mission. This is why we come to work ready to go every day because we feel like we're working with purpose. So for us, it's, it's just part of what you do. And like anybody, you have certain commitments that you make to your business. And just like you have to build inventory, just like you need an office, just like you need to pay production. This is just part of what we do. I'm also passionate about building brands with that kind of purpose, but to many founders who I meet, it's kind of scary. You know, the questions that I hear are, what if investors disagree with my mission or what if I struggle? Do you have any advice to help founders like that build the confidence necessary to do this? Yeah, well, I I think one of the places to start that's really important is starting back with, what are we creating and do consumers need it? I, I, I mean, that has to be part of any proposition. And when I was advising students at Stanford, I had some students come to me and say, this, here's the environmental stance that I want to take. And I'd say, that's great. What's your product? And the product was not one that they fully understood whether or not it's needed in the world. And so you have to, you have to start there. And yes, we were a cause looking for a company, but we weren't ready to go until we found that connection with consumers. So that, that is always, always has to be at the core of what you do. And then it, it needs to be a commitment that you and the, you as the entrepreneur make from day one in order to support humanity and, and the earth in any way that you think is right and all the better if there is a connection to uh, a, a consumer connection that you can make that helps to, to further the brand. It's when you fit, take that first dollar that you are making a choice as to whether you're going to be able to serve that higher purpose or not. And it's so hard when you desperately need money. But know that if you make a choice that is not going to support what you want to do, you are going to lose control of your vision. Because that is such a critical moment of truth for the business. It is the moment of truth. Absolutely. So speaking of consumers, you've reached a new level of scale now. The majority of people who encounter your brand are not going to know your deeper purpose. Can you talk a little bit about how you've balanced the story that you tell on your packaging in terms of its architecture? Yeah, and and we're still learning as as we go in terms of the best way to do that. And so I'll give you a couple examples. Uh, In terms of the package itself, you know, we really want to make sure we have a clean package that's beautiful that pops off the shelf so people know what they're – people are drawn to it. And what we communicate on the package is is a language that we use that is – it it, – it attracts a certain kind of consumer uh, right from the way we describe it as everything from 
the super herbs, which are like turmeric, for example, is part of the name of the, broth, the, the flavor, turmeric golden milk. So even if you don't know a, a story behind turmeric, if you're familiar with it, you're going to be drawn to that. And once people are drawn to it, we we have a symbol on the back of our relationship with not for sale and we talk about it but there's not a ton of room on that bottle so what we do is we communicate a lot through social media and through the events where we're touching people and ha having them taste the product because we know once pe people try it they're hooked so when we hand them a bottle we talk about what where, how the company started and what our efforts are with Not For Sale. And so it is a moment where people are discovering the product and the taste of the product and what the brand is about at the same time that they're learning the story of Not For Sale. That's, that's an ideal situation. On social media, they're probably somewhat familiar with us to be able to see us on social media. But now what we're starting to do is advertise more. And at first, our, our hypothesis was, well, the ads that we need to do need to focus on the product itself so that people are drawn to the product itself. Interestingly enough, what we found actually about a year ago is the ads that we tested where we talked about our efforts with Not For Sale performed even better than the ones where we just talked about the product. Oh, wow. So that was a real surprise. So what we realize is that that impact story is really important. So we launched a new advertising campaign, which I'm so excited about because it really highlights the beauty of the product, how decadent and wonderful the flavors taste, what the herbs are all about that are in the product, the adaptogens and what they do for your body and how they support, um, they support people's adaptation to stress. But we have a series of ads that we run. Is we start with we start with the ad about the, the taste. We move to as people opt into that. We move into an ad about the herbs, and then right away we move into an ad about the impact that we're having. So it's this combination of these three different things that are ro rotating through for people so they can learn the story together. So I think what's happening is because the consumer cares a lot more about these things, about the consciousness of a company, it's much easier than it used to be to be able to introduce that story to people. However, as we're moving into more conventional retailers, into grocery stores and Target, you know, we have to be really careful because we, we do need to go back to what is the core message of the product that people are going to pick up from that shelf. And so we're constantly learning what does it mean to be talking to a broader group, group of consumers as opposed to really our core heritage consumers from our channel, original channels. It's almost as though as you scale, the communication opportunity inverts itself. At first, purpose was the thing that brought people into the franchise and now the product is the hook and oh by the way now that you love our product let us tell you about human trafficking and why we're going to stop it yeah absolutely that is absolutely our approach fantastic well listen cheryl this has been a real pleasure is there any parting advice that you have for the many founders who are listening to this who are trying to build brands with purpose like you've done across your career? 
You know, this is going to take it in a slightly different direction, but sure. and I write about this in my book, but I think no matter what, whatever kind of company people are building and a company with purpose all the more is, you know, founders, because our identities are part of what we do and it's like for our for us our products are it's like art on a canvas so it's very personal and it's our it is our identity and what happens and it happened to me was we start equating our self-worth with the worth of our companies and Mm -hmm. regardless how much purpose is in the company we can't do that to ourselves we are people with an essence that goes way beyond the company, whether the company ends up living in the world for a long time or not. The fact that we put ourselves out there is such courage and such bravery. And so whatever happens with the company, it doesn't mean that we're worthless if it doesn't work. And I just, I, what I hope is that all entrepreneurs take that really seriously. And that's why it is so important to keep your relationships going outside of your company world, whether it be your significant other, with your family, with your friends, they're your lifeline. And they remind you of everything that you're about beyond your company. So don't equate your self-worth with the worth of the company. Wow, that is very wise counsel. Uh, Cheryl, thank you very much for taking time out of your busy day to share these thoughts. It was incredibly inspiring to me. Thank you, Ryan. You asked great questions. Thank you. You're a great interviewer. Thank you for listening to Brand New Blueprint. This is a production of Smoketown. Huge thanks to Lisa, our producer, and to Run the Jewels for the Beats. If you have feedback or suggestions, Hit us up in the comments and be sure to check out our next episode.